Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and today I have an absolutely delightful conversation with one of the greatest swim coaches we've seen in the world, Kim Bracken. Kim was a coach of Kirsty Coventry for four Olympic Games and all through her NCAA career, numerous medals in the Olympics and world championships and everything else, and just an outstanding partnership. But also her career in the NCAA world in the universities here in America, where she's basically seven NCAA titles at Auburn University, just absolutely incredible. But in this conversation, what I, what I really love about it is, is going through her journey, but she's so vulnerable and authentic. There's no bravado here. She she basically explains where, th- where she thinks she went wrong, what mistakes she made, but also where she learned the most and, and where she thought her strengths were. And there's just so much in this one to unpack. We, you know, we talk about mental performance and mental health and the, and the way coaches need to coach now compared to maybe 20 years ago and, and what's had to have changed. But just so much in this one. You can also find Kim Bracken on the Any Question platform where again she's just absolutely authentic and vulnerable there and just with so much knowledge and she's answered over 300 plus questions on the platform already but if you also want to go ask her more questions uh, after listening to this podcast or during this podcast she'll be over there and willing to answer your questions that you might have there as well Um, but just absolutely fantastic human being I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did and remember Success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I am joined by one of the greatest swim coaches in the world. Coached to seven Olympic medals, two of those gold, 13 world championship medals, seven of those gold, and four Olympic Games, 2004, 8, 12, and 16. She was a women's head coach at the University of Texas from 06 to 2012, where they won two Big 12 championship titles. And previous to that, she was the co-head coach at Auburn University from 97 to 2005, where they won seven NCAA championship titles. And she was named the 2002 NCAA Swimming Coach of the Year, and in 2003, the SEC Swimming Coach of the Year. She owns and operates a state-of-the-art swim training facility, Bracken Elite Swim Training, and she's been just absolutely incredible on any question platform, answering hundreds of questions. It's an absolute honor and privilege to have her join me today. So welcome and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Kim Bracken, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Greg. (laughs) I need to listen to that every morning when I wake up. (laughs) I mean, really, like, I do enjoy doing these introductions. And one part is I know a lot of podcasters out there don't include the introduction so the guests can hear it. But I'm like, you know what? I kind of think it's nice to hear what you've achieved and what you're doing. How does it make you feel when you, when you first hear that? I mean, obviously it feels good, but how does it kind of make you feel to hear your resume read back to you? Yeah, it's, um, I'm proud. I'm super proud of myself and the people I was around that helped me achieve that. Um, it's humbling as well. Like, wow, I've done a lot. What am I doing now? <laughs> kind of makes me question myself a little bit. What am I doing now? And, um, it certainly made me smile. I mean, I had a really big smile on my face again, because of the feeling, the feelings of pride, but also just memories, like mm. everything you said 
a picture flashed in my mind, you know, mm. and it just made me smile. Great memories. No, oh, I, I just think it's incredible. And like I said, it's a, it's a tremendous privilege just to be able to spend the morning with you having a chat about your past, about what you've done and what you're doing now. So I, I really appreciate it. Where, where are you actually calling me from? Where are you in the world? So I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, I love St. Pete. St. Anthony's yeah. Triathlon over there. I did, I don't know how many dozen times, one of the great races of the world, but I love that part of the world. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. If you'd asked me five years ago if I would ever live in Florida, I would just laughed and said, <laughs> no way, I don't like Florida. And, you know, it's like that was so closed-minded. Um, when, we, when I knew we had to move here, I, that's how I felt. I was very upset about it. Yeah. Um, and I love it. It's one of my favorite places I've ever lived in my life. It's just, people are nice. We live near the beach. We have a boat. We go out on our boat all the time. Weather's great. Like it's just, it's a great place to live. This town is really eclectic. So yeah, super happy here. Yeah. You and I are probably much the same as that, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I married my wife, Laura, and she's from here and, and we decided to sort of move back here after 15 years in Colorado. But I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to get back to Australia at some point too, but I've actually come to really like it. It, it, it wasn't my cup of tea to begin with. I was like, oh, if you're not into boating and tennis and golf, yeah. um, <laughs> it, it was kind of, but now I, I kind of like, like you said, I like the weather. I like being able to do what I need to do. It was a great place to live during COVID. Um, yes. So I felt very grateful for that. Uh, and, and yeah, but I've come to embrace it a lot more. Let's just put it that way. But um Anyway, let, let's get into this. Let's get into this. Okay. One, one of my favorite things to really do is get to know my guests. And probably my favorite question in the world is, is to basically say, let's rewind the clock and just tell me about your journey to finding your passion into the swimming world, in particular, the swimming coaching side of things. But mm-hmm. take us back, take us back, rewind the clock. And, and what was your sort of childhood like? And how did you sort of get to this point? So I grew up in a rear, a very rural area of New York, um, called Boston Corners. There was no really organized sport or anything like that. So I just grew up swimming for fun in the summers. And um, it wasn't until high school that I um, really joined a swim team. Um, so started really late. And I'm going to blame that for the reason that I wasn't a great swimmer. We'll just say that. It had nothing to do with my talent or abilities. <laughs> it's just the late start. But I was a very average swimmer. Um, swam through college, um, Division three. Loved it. Just loved being part of a team. And then I went on to graduate graduate school to study sports psychology. I thought this is, I want to be a sports psychologist and work with athletes on college campuses. I did two years at uh, Springfield college in Massachusetts. And while I was coach, uh, going to school there, I coached a little bit, but I went to the Stanford swim camp with one of my friends as a counselor. And that was really the first time I saw the, first of all, the elite level of swimming. I mean, like this was in 90, one. So we, they were getting ready for the 92 trials. It was just incredible to watch the energy at the pool deck of the coaches and the athletes. And I, it got me really excited about swimming and coaching. Mm. So I knew I needed to take a little bit of time between well, getting my master's and getting a PhD, which I knew I needed for uh, to be a sports psychologist. So I started to coach for a couple years and I really enjoyed that. Um, I think that's where I began to understand that I had some, I don't know, gifts or talents, but some of the things that I recognized that I was pretty good at was being able to connect with people and communicate with them. 
maybe because it didn't come naturally to me swimming. So I had to learn a lot about what made people go faster. And um, I think I was pretty good at communicating that. So I just decided to stay in coaching for a while. And then it was like, I just, I was around the right people all the time. That is the most fortunate thing that has happened to me in my life is that Mm. I've had great Mm. mentors. I can't tell you one job I had where I didn't learn from my head coach. And it's not because just because I was eager to learn, they were really good teachers. And I've seen other places where that does not exist. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I was super, super fortunate in the mentors that I was around and they allowed me to grow. Um, so that was sort of my, you know, my journey into coaching. I, I went from Ithaca college to Davidson college to Northwestern, then Auburn and then Texas. So, a pretty nice little trajectory. It made a whole lot of sense. Um, there weren't any like backfalls or just immediate huge jumps forward. I had to work hard for, for where I got, but like I said, it was just every environment taught me so much. Mm. Was there a time in that going through those colleges where, was there a moment or was it over time that you were kind of like, I'm actually reasonably good at it. Like I'm, I'm, this is a strength. This is something that I'm quite comfortable in and and I'm talented at. Yeah, I think it was kind of those first three mid-level schools. So Ithaca College is a division three school. That was the first place I worked. And that was like, that's where I was. We had moved to um, when I was in high school. So it was just like, I felt like I was working at home. It didn't really feel like a real job yet, but Mm. it was. And then Davidson, I think those two places I learned how to recruit. Mm. And that's where I really learned that I could connect well with people for a benefit, right? Like I knew I connected with people. I was, I'm always, I've always been very outgoing and had friends and all different kinds of friend groups, but to have that become a skill, uh, a usable skill, right. Uh, in recruiting, I realized I was pretty good at that. Um, and then again, just being able to communicate with the athlete at those schools, Davidson and Ithaca and even Northwestern, I wasn't as intimidated by the athlete as I was when I got to Auburn Mm. because the Auburn athletes were just at a much, much, much higher level. So I think if I had gone from a really small place, like if I'd gone from Ithaca college to Auburn, I don't think I would have been as good because I would have been so intimidated Mm. that I would have had this like fear holding me back. But because I had these small stepping stones and I got to understand, okay, these athletes respect me and they believe in what I'm saying and that it's working. Um, my confidence grew slowly mm. and that allowed me to overcome some of that, those, those fears and intimidations that I had when I walked onto the Auburn campus and began to coach. And so I was set up for success. I think, you know, in those, those kind of the smaller, lower level swimming programs. Isn't it incredible how, when you, when you look back like that and you go, how important the process and the journey is, you know, it's mm-hmm. like we all set these lofty goals of doing this and, this and it's like, but the day to day and the learning along the way are going to, they're the reason you can even have that. Like you need to put those out there and, and have some of these North stars that you get you excited and get you out of bed. And I get all of that, but it's really coming back and going, identifying and going, the process is everything in terms of building your self-confidence. Like you said, to be yeah. able to just be able to have a conversation with an elite level coach or swimmer that you're working with, you need to feel like, yeah, I've been through the trenches too. And I belong here. I I, I really enjoy it. I I just think that's fantastic. And was there a time then you were like, this is a, 
career path that I'm fully invested in? Was that straight out of college or was it kind of just over time you started leaning into it more and more? No, it was, I even think at Northwestern, so I already coached one, two, like even four years into college coaching, I still thought I would go back Mm. and get my PhD and do sports like, because it was still in the sports realm, right? And it was on that my idea was to be on college campuses. So when I moved to North to Auburn, which for me was a bit of a, that that's when I went all in, right? Mm. I loved Northwestern. I had a great job. I worked for a great boss. I loved the city I lived in. I mean, just things were all, I want to say perfect, but it was just this mm. great lifestyle. Mm-hmm. David sort of recruited me to Auburn. He needed, he wanted a female on his staff to really dive full in with his women's team. Mm. And, um, so I finally relented. I hate to say it like that, but it's really true. I relented and went on an, it took an interview and then thought, okay, this is a place where I could really grow, um, my, more my, of my competitive nature, right? Mm. Cause we, he wanted to win a championship on the women's side. So he was recruiting me to help them do that. And that, you know, fed my ego a little bit. This would be pretty cool. So it was sort of a sacrifice though, because I left everything I loved. And I think at that point, that's when I realized, okay, this I'm all in, like, Mm. this is going to be my career now. If I'm taking, I'm uprooting my life and bringing it to Auburn. This is the real deal. You just gave me goosebumps because I love those. I love those moments in life where people pull the trigger and you don't know you don't know if it's the right move, but you go right. for, you go for it anyway. And I think that's, for me, that's what life's all about is those big transitions, those moments where you, you don't know, and you're like, yeah. but you go, you know what, in order to do this, I'm going to jump two feet in and let's just see how it plays out. And well, the rest is history. I mean, seven NCAA championship titles there. I mean, yeah. what was that whole process like? Obviously the recruiting had to be incredible, which was your, like you mentioned, your, your forte, you felt really comfortable in that. But, you know, how did that all play out? I mean, the coaching, the recruiting, the great team, is it everything? I mean, it has to be at, at, at that level. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, first I would say that one of David Marsh's biggest strengths is that he, he surrounds himself with people that believe in his vision, first of all, but then are willing to work really hard for his vision and work together as a team. So I think the the most important team in that whole environment that created all that success at Auburn was the coaching staff team, mm-hmm. right? Like he just put together a group that was willing to what's the right word? I can't even think of the right word. There's this synergy. Mm. And sometimes, you know, someone would leave, right. For either they needed to go somewhere else or he wanted somebody different, but he found somebody else that just, that filled that gap. And it was always this very, um, cohesive coaching staff where we worked together Mm. really, really well. And so then that permeated, the swimming and diving team, right? We recruited people in that same sort of way. So it's just this, this environment, um, where, you know, we were all pretty much on the same page, even though we didn't all fit. Like, you know, we weren't, it wasn't a a circle in a circle. Like Mm. there were so many different personalities (laughs) on the team and, and within the staff. But when it came to, to accomplishing the goals for Auburn swimming, we were all on the same page. 
And that is really, really hard to create. Mm. Uh, David is a master at it, mm. maybe better than even his coaching skills, um, which are pretty phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I've got to know David. I've never met him in person, but he is on the Any Question platform and answering questions over there. And it's extraordinary to watch all of these the masters of the swimming world a- answering all these questions on, on any question, but he, he really is extraordinary. When, when you guys were recruiting, I just want to lean into this a little bit more. When you were recruiting for Auburn, uh-huh. was that always, was that a global kind how did that work for people that don't understand NCAA recruiting? Cause this is a global, you know, around the world, people are listening, Australia and Britain maybe don't have an understand, but when you're recruiting NCAA teams. Are you traveling around the world to find swimmers or how does that work? We are. We are. So I would say probably for us at Auburn, 75, 80% of it was domestic. So Mm. we're, it's, you know, the recruiting in a sense can be really easy. You look at times, you look at the top times in the country, um, for, you know, ages 16 to 17. And you're like, okay, these are the kids we have to go after. So that's kind of the starting page. Right. Mm. And then, then you start to get to know them and you begin to, you know, figure out, okay, are they going to be a good fit for this program? Are we going to be a good fit for their needs? And then, but yeah, you're also looking across the world and recruiting to Auburn, Alabama is not always the easiest thing, especially when you're recruiting against Stanford, UCLA and Florida. So, and and not even just the geographic part of it, but Alabama does not have the strongest reputation in the United States of being, uh, and kind of an open-minded, inclusive place. You're recruiting against some pretty heavy stereotypes and then academically as well, people think, oh, you know, Alabama, it's, you know, in terms of at least schools, like at the high school level, not the highest in the country. And so there's just this stigma about Alabama, I right. think. Yeah. And um, so we have to recruit against that. But I will tell you, I, I traveled all over the world for recruiting. And my, my favorite recruiting story, I'll tell it really quick, is yeah. I'm on my honeymoon. I get a call from David and he's like, hey, there's there's this girl and in Africa that, um, somebody told me she's really good. So we need to give her a call. I'm like, um, I'm on my honeymoon. (laughs) It's like, but she's supposed to be really good. And you know, you got to give her a call. Like I trust this guy that that let me know about her. So I call her up. It happens to be Kirsty Coventry. I call her, we chat. She's lovely, but very, very shy. And you know, she's expressed some interest. I recognize really quickly. There's no way she's going to look at us if she doesn't meet somebody in person, right? Her family feels that way. She's not going to come somewhere that she's never Mm. met the people she's going to be with. So I called David back and I'm like, Hey, you know, somebody has got to go visit her because she's not going to come here just off of phone calls. And so he's like, all right, we'll book your ticket. I'm "I'm on the honeymoon. I said, somebody, I said, somebody. (laughs) So, so generously, he lets me finish my honeymoon. And, um, <laughs> like a week or so later, I'm on a plane to Harare and visiting Kirsty. And in the recruiting roles, you can spend 48 hours max with somebody. And so I, I took full advantage of those 48 hours. I spent them all with Kirsty and her family. And, um, that was the beginning of a lifelong friendship with, mm. you know, her parents, her sister with Kirsty. I mean, she's still one of my best friends to this day. And 
very, very close to their family. I've been there a number of times with them. So yeah, it's literally brought me around the world and I've been introduced to people. I mean, I have I have favorite people that I've recruited that didn't come to Texas or to Auburn that mm. I just connected with. And I feel really fortunate that I've gotten to know so many swimmers around the world, um, whether they've swum for me or not, and been part a little part of their journey. Wow. It feels really cool. On that, I'm glad you brought it up, Kirsty, because I was actually curious, what made us so good? You know, like all of those medals that I mentioned huh. and uh, multiple Olympics and just she was an incredible athlete. What, what do you think made her so great? Yeah. I love that you said she's an incredible athlete because she wasn't just a swimmer growing up. She was also quite a good, uh, field hockey mm. player. So in Zimbabwe, Huge. the pools are all, mm. all outside and they require, uh, petrol to, uh, to heat them. And they're, it's a pretty poor country. So nobody swam in the winters. They just didn't heat the pools sidebar when I was visiting her on that recruiting trip, we went to the pool. It was the middle of winter, her time. And she swam a hundred IM for me in this freezing cold pool. Oh, (laughs) So I could see her swim. Um, anyway, so I think, you know, it's, it's pretty phenomenal that the success that she had, because she didn't grow up like a lot of the kids I see here swimming, you know, year round doubles at starting at the Mm. age of, you know, 11, just grinding out work. She was an all around really strong athlete. She has the gift of great athletic build. So she's very lean. She floats like crazy. So she rides really, really high on the water. Those, the shiny suit era Mm. did not do her any favors. She already had that gift of floating high on the water. Um, So it really kind of brought her competitors up to her a little bit more. She was very strong and mentally just so driven, Mm. so driven. And Mm. I think, you know, that mental side combined with just an incredible, you know, aquatic vessel, I'll say, uh, those two things together, Mm. uh, gave her such longevity in the sport too. I mean, she, she swam in the 2000 Olympics too. I was with her for the last four, but she swam in five Olympic games. Wow. Was it five as well? Oh my goodness. I missed that one, but that's incredible. And, and finaled in all of them. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, some of these, some of these athletes that come through are just, they really are remarkable as a coach to Kirsty then, you know, with, with obviously some, some gifts in certain areas, was Uh there places where you felt really needed. I've seen athletes that are maybe so driven, but then they put too high expectation on themselves and they can falter because they're, you know, of confidence or what, what area did you sort of find yourself, you know, having to play a bigger part in with, with Kirsty as she prepared for these games, world championship, Olympics, Commonwealth games, whatever it was. Yeah. I think that evolved. I think what she needed from me evolved over time. I do think she was pretty raw when she, when she got to us. Like she had all these gifts, but we really taught her how to train. Mm. We worked on stroke technique. I mean, she had good strokes for sure, but there were some modifications that were made. So I think refining her was huge and, but really teaching her how to train, teaching her how to be competitive in a training environment, like, and and I don't know that we taught her that her teammates at Auburn just kind of forced that upon her. So there was, I think I was definitely played a a role in 
teaching in the earlier ages, in the earlier years. Um, and then probably by like 2004, that first Olympic games that I went to with her, I think I became a really important support role, just like not a friend at this point yet, but someone to just communicate her fears to Mm. her dreams to, I wasn't so invested. It wasn't like a parent who just always says the right thing. You know, I was still her coach. So she could tell me these things and I would be, I could still be direct, but caring Mm -hmm. with her. And I think she needed that. And then once she became really successful, so in 2008 and 2009, I was also someone who I think she relied on to, excuse me, snap her kind of back, snap her out of things. So the first three events in 2008, in her mind, she underperformed Mm -hmm. because she was only a silver medalist. And she was in a really bad spot before the 200 backstroke, which was her, you know, she had the world record in as she went into her Olympic games. Mentally, she was just a mess because she felt like she had failed already. Mm. And uh, so I had that lovely job of like, you know, kind of shaking her awake and like, let's go. We've got one more event left and it's your best event. And you know, you can be successful here. And the same thing happened in 2009 at world championships. So, you know, while she's one of the best female swimmers ever in the history of our sport, just like most people in this world, she has vulnerabilities. And, um, I think she relied on me to help her manage navigating those vulnerabilities. Mm. I'm always curious with the, every athlete's different and every coaching athlete relationship is different, but there's such a, an equation between the, the physical training being there on the, the mental preparation side of things, but also being a shoulder for the emotional side mm-hmm. that the, um, I, I kind of look at, and maybe I'm not even saying this right, but I kind of look at the mental as we have control over Like we can, we can really, lay out a plan and these are the processes that I'm going to go through with my affirmations and my visualizing and bum, 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 bum. And they can affect your emotions, but quite often we get blindsided by emotions. You know, it's like, and and these emotions can then affect us hormonally, which then affect us physically and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I'm always curious at this relationship that a coach has with an athlete and how, how invested they need to be per athlete and what's it, what's an overstep for somebody and what's the right amount. And it's a, it's a constant balancing act. Right. And, and when do we become friends or is this all business? Is that something that you've struggled with, with athletes? Is that something that you felt comfortable, you know, because I think there's, this is where coaching becomes an art more than a yeah. science. And, and just curious on sort of how you've been able to manage that with so many athletes that you've worked with. No, that's a, that's a brilliant observation. I think if I'm going to be, you know, really honest with myself, I, I think I did a better job of it at Auburn. Obviously, it's much easier when you just have one athlete, right? Mm-hmm. With Kirsty, like when I was at the Olympic Games, I have one athlete. I can't imagine being the head coach for, you know, let's say the U- the U.S. team mm-hmm. at the Olympic Games. You've got twenty something athletes, or if you include the men and the women, you know, it's it's could be so overwhelming. So I look at like Bob Bowman, I think of, you know, not that I'm paralleled with Bob Bowman, but his relationship with Michael, like we would be at the same meeting and oftentimes we'd be sitting near each other because Kirstie had all these American friends, right? So we would sit really close to the American team and they had that same kind of relationship where there was this reliance on one another. 
But in terms of like managing with a group of athletes, I think I did a really good job of it at Auburn. I don't know why it was harder at Texas. I think potentially because I was the head coach Mm. and I had different responsibilities on my shoulders. Even when Mm. I was at Auburn and I was the co-head coach for the women's team, David still managed a lot of the administrative things of, of the overall team. Right. And so I had to manage not only the athletes, but also my staff and parents and administrators, (laughs) right? It it just becomes more, your, your time is spread out amongst so many more people. And then I think I felt like I had more to prove at Texas. I wasn't as just relaxed in my role. So it made me a different person, Mm. maybe a less relaxed or less approachable person. Uh, You know, as I'm sitting here thinking, that's like part of my I don't want to say downfall, but I just wasn't as, I wasn't as productive in that realm at Texas as I was at, at Auburn in terms of that relationship with the athlete. It's, it's almost like it's just a different fit for your personality, right? It's like, I feel like, and I want to step into, um, why the transition from Auburn to Texas, but uh, Mm -hmm. me dissecting on my end, as I listen to you, it's kind of like, (laughs) I think I can see your strengths and, and perhaps it was going into more that corporate leadership role wasn't at the time what you felt was a strength. Whereas, yeah. uh, whereas the relationship, the being there with the individual, the, the riding the journey together in a very close proximity seems like a really great strength that you have. I can even tell by just listening to you, you're very personable, you're very caring, you're very, there's that nurturing nature that athletes need but suddenly we, we remove you and we put you into a place of administrative tasks and, and chief of operations. And it's like, whoa, I've, I'm now missing this. I'm not with the, with the people I want to be with. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. And so I, I kind of just go, it's, it's more like putting a, you know, a square peg in a round hole to some degree. It's not that you were bad at it. It's just like playing to you to one's strengths. I'm all about, I don't, you've probably not listened to any of these shows, but I'm all about playing to strengths and mitigating weaknesses. And if we can yeah. all just lay down, really lie on our strengths. But let, let me um, ask you that, that, that transition from Auburn to Texas, um, why? <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and how, how hard was that decision? Well, I decided to leave Auburn just has nothing to do with Texas. It had a little bit to do with our family situation. I ha- already had my son who was whatever, one and a half when we left. Um, my husband, we thought he was going to get this really, really, really cool job. Um, and I would, we would have to leave Auburn anyway. Um, so that was sort of in the in the works. And to be very honest, I was a little burnt out at Auburn. Mm. We were Mm. just grinding. We were winning and winning and winning and (laughs) we were working harder and harder and harder. And, um, I think that role of co-head coach, part of it, a little bit of ego came in, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. sharing that team at sometimes, I didn't want to, sometimes I did. So it was, I felt like I needed to to back away from that in hindsight. Maybe that wasn't so true, but you know, at the time that's what we felt, Mm -hmm. what I felt I needed to do. And I felt like it was a good time to leave like on the top. Right. So we left and my husband, um, didn't get that job, but we went somewhere else and spent a, a year in California. He was at a language school and I had my daughter during that time. And 
the Texas job opened up. And while I was away from coaching, I was like, I am not built to be a stay at home mom at all. Um, and I miss coaching a lot. (laughs) So when the Texas job opened, I got on a plane and immediately worked really hard to get the job. And I did. And, um, my first few years were, were awesome there. It felt like a right, it felt like the right place. And I felt like I was ready to do it, but I didn't have that same environment of support around me. Hmm. And I think I, I, I know as a human being, I need that. Like I need that from my family, my job right now, there's a little bit of, um, there's one area where I don't have support and it drives me nuts. Like I just want it all to be right. I want things to be wrapped up and for people to be working together. And I really struggle when there's like a peg out of place and there's, you know, a kink in the chain. It, it, I struggle with that. Mm. And I, that was, that became an issue at Texas. And I didn't rebound from it very well. I mean, going through Texas and I love your vulnerability and authenticity here, by the way, I think it's, uh, (laughs) you you know, because it's not hard to do to openly admit that, yeah, I struggled, you know, but I think it's great for for us all to hear that because I think it's very human. (laughs) None of Mm -hmm. us are sitting here going, oh yeah, my life has been a breeze, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and we're kicking ourselves for decisions we've made or whatever else as well. But, you know, when when you came to the end of of Texas, was it, were you looking for another university or was it kind like, okay, I've had enough of the NCAA programs. No, I was so bitter. (laughs) I wanted nothing to do with college coaching and college women. Um, I was just, I was super bitter. So I felt like my, me being released from Texas, I felt like was a wrongdoing. I didn't think I deserved to be released from Texas. So that I struggled with that. Like I was, there was just anger. And I was also, there was humiliation, like, wait a minute, I am a good coach, aren't I? Uh, Maybe I'm not. You know, I just started to really question things. And Mm. I, because of that, I was like, I have to do something right away again to show that I am successful, (laughs) but it can't be coaching because I don't want to coach right now. So I, that's start, I started my business again, hindsight, 2020. I, I think I wish I'd waited a little bit longer before I just jumped right into something else. Um, I might've gone back to college coaching had I taken a little more time away from it. Um, but you know, I didn't, I started my business and it became successful really quickly and I love what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm completely fine with that decision that I made, but you know, part of me wonders what I would have done had I waited a little bit longer and gotten over those, those really, really strong feelings that I had about college coaching. Okay. So let's do this then. You get an email as soon as you hang up from this podcast and it's from a university and they're asking you to become a head coach. Is it, is there a certain university one that you would want? And two, is it something that you would take these days? 100% no. (laughs) Would not do it. (laughs) Okay. 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 So you've moved, you've moved on and, and you, that's, that's the journey and the path. And and that's great. I I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have, I've had offers, um, either to be an assistant at a, you know, a a very high, high level. I did at the time Mm. we are within weeks. I had some people, a couple different people calling saying, you know, would I be an assistant? And I think I would, it wasn't an ego thing like, oh, well, I've been a head coach. I'm not going to be assistant. It wasn't that. It was just, I didn't want to get back in that 
realm yet. I didn't want to see the people that I would have to see. So I just, that was not going to happen. Now, maybe a couple years later, yeah, I would have taken a call, but by then I'd moved to Germany. And so it just wasn't going to happen. So what the, the great gift I got was, and this is one of the high points I think in my career is being asked by David to be on his ISL staff. Yes. Yes. Just recently, the last couple of years. Yes. That's yeah, right. It allowed me to be right back in the mix of the highest level of coaching in yeah. the world. Yeah. Right. At a, a totally, in a totally different environment, working with really eager professional athletes. When I say professional, I just mean that they, they've moved beyond that, that sort of awkward college stage where it's like, Oh, you love it, but you don't. And you want to party, but you want to swim, but you want to study. Like it's just, it's their job. And that's the way I liked to think about swimming is like, this is your job, but Oh, by the way, in college, it's not your job, Kim. Like, you know, so I struggled with that too, but anyway, it is the perfect situation for me. And I, I just feel like I would rather do that a hundred times over than coach college. Oh, I'm so thrilled for you. Yeah. Cause you're an all in type of person and, and yeah. it's, uh, I guess, yeah. Thinking about the college side of things, you know, understanding how to work with athletes at a level where you need to be thinking about performance, but health at the same time. So I, what I mean by that is I, I've been thinking a lot recently about mental performance over mental health. Right. And it's kind of, and the role of a coach in, in that right balance, you know, we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of health, mental health issues with a lot of, a lot of college athletes and even a lot yeah. of professional athletes. And, uh, I feel like this is, it's a very delicate area. And in college, like you said, it's a room, it's, it's a place for these teenagers and, and young twenties to be able to grow and become adults. And as a coach in that world, how do you find the right balance of push and hold back? <laughs> you know, oh my it, gosh, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I were coaching today. Mm, like, mm. because so it's so funny as you're saying all this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would just be so horrible because I don't have a lot of patience. Like my kids come to me and they're like, uh, mom, I, you know, I think my arm's broken. I'm like, okay, well let's, you know, we'll, we'll keep our eye on it. Let's, let's just watch that. Right. Like I am so driven to, to just keep going, to keep working, to keep striving. But then I also think I'm so much better at it now because I am a mom, right? Like Mm -hmm. I understand that there's this emotion that's part of it. There's just your, your daily life is part of who you are as an athlete. So I do get it better now being a mom of like, you know, I was a mom then, but they were just little, little kids. I just want people to be as all in as I am. And that is, it's not the case, right? Mm -hmm. I, I get it. That is so unrealistic of me to believe. And it's so funny because my daughter, who I love dearly and I'm so proud of, but she is very similar to some of the athletes that I struggled with the most to coach. Of course, right? Very (laughs) talented. (laughs) Like she has talent, but just, you know, she's doing it because she loves it. Not because it's like drives her, right? She wants to be good, but she doesn't take as much initiative as she probably should in order to be as good as she wants to be. Yeah. 
And those were the athletes that I struggled with the most that I knew could do it, but they just, they didn't want to give as much as I knew that they could, or I thought that they should. Isn't it interesting? You and I have uh, two, two peas in the same pod. Honestly, I, (laughs) I, um, I'm exactly the same. I did some coaching after I retired from, you know, professional race and I just, I just, it put me in the worst mood to be honest, because I didn't know how to operate with somebody that didn't have the same kind of drive as I did. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to communicate. And, and I'd come home to poor, my poor wife, Laura, and I'd, be, I'd have to vent, you know, and I'm like, this is wrong that I'm hanging on to this so much. And, but if I'm all in, yeah, why aren't... And, and the way I'd done it for my own journey, you know, I wasn't the most talented guy, but I went all in at such a young age, like 14, 15, I was like, I knew what I wanted. And it mm-hmm. was like, I just... Consistency and time would be my favor. So by the time I was 32, I finally got to world number one. It took that long. Well, actually, it was 30. Maybe it was 30. But still, it took a long time to get there. And then I got to have the, my glory days for, you know, 30 to 44. It was really like it took me 10 years of push. And so when I see athletes that have talent and they kind of go, ah, you know, I like this, but, you know, I also like the girls or I like the boys. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, I get it. But uh, so I get it. Um, And I think it's okay to admit it that, you know, we have that drive. But I do think it's become something that when we talk about coaching now and, you know, the mental performance versus mental health, it's this equation that we to try and get right at a very individual level of, of how do we operate with athletes. It's a fascinating area that, uh, you know, sports psychologists are now really working overtime trying to get a handle on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I value that there are people out there that can help athletes or gosh, I, I think, I think about all the athletes that are talking about their mental health issues. I'm like, uh, and the coaches too, and the athletic no. trainers, and, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. all of us. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's so, it's so awesome that there are resources now. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not so taboo to talk about, but I, this might not be a popular view. I also think because there are so many of those resources and people are talking about it more, I think it's easier for, for anyone now to say, oh, it's really hard and maybe I should take a step back. I think some of the ways, some of the reasons we've had some of the most successful people in the world that their their business or their mm-hmm. athletics or whatever it might be is because they pressed, right? Like but The thing is, uh, there was no way out. Um, you can either accept that or it can be... It could be a little bit tough. I don't know. It's it's an interesting one because I do agree with you. It's If you want to be great, you're going to have to put your blinders on and, and, and mm-hmm. really go all in. But ask yourself along the way, is this truly what I want? And this is where it all comes, in my mind, it comes back to passion. Ask yourself, are you truly passionate about it? And understand that this is going to be a roller coaster. This is not going to be, oh, I just keep turning up and every day I get 10% better. It's like, no, you're going to go two steps forward, one step back, maybe even two steps back. And it's going to be brutal at times. And are you truly passionate about it? Ask yourself, what is your why? Why are you doing it? And if it's a big enough reason, go jump all in like we've talked about. But if it's not, it's okay. It's okay. Just don't, don't tell everybody else that you're all in when you're really not. You know. And I yeah. think getting ahead of it early is really important. And then telling yourself, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So, okay, I want to be one of the greatest swimmers in the world or I want to be one of the greatest swim coaches in the world. Okay, 
this is going to be a bit of a journey, you know, it's like, okay. this is, this is the journey and, and, and here we go and embrace the process. And I think that gets missed. I think we all want to celebrate and be the next Michael Phelps or Tom Brady or Tiger Woods. And it's okay, that's what I want. And it's like, well, hang on. It's not all roses when you get there either. So you better enjoy the process. Right. You know, I've talked about the fact that, um, I didn't manage my, my role as the head coach at Texas as best as I could, but I do think that I was doing a very, I was doing my best job at that. Mm -hmm. And had I had a community around me, like I did at Auburn, I think I would have been highly successful there. Mm. So that journey, like who you surround yourself with on the journey is incredibly important. Mm. And sometimes you don't get to choose who you're surrounding yourself with, right? Like (laughs) David, like I said earlier, chose that group. So I had a choice of my assistant coach and then everybody else was, was given to me. Like Mm. Eddie Reese is on the men's side. You know, I can't change that. And my diving coach who I loved, who I'm grateful I had as my, in my group, I didn't choose him, uh, the administrators. And as a woman in coaching, at that level, you are very alone. I was going to ask it that, you very know, very alone. Now that you've brought it up, did it open doors? Did it make it harder? Being, yeah, I'm very curious about that, that because there's not a lot of female coaches at that level, at the no. Olympic and World Championship level and the highest NCAA schools. I guess there's a lot of questions in this and I want to unpack, but it's kind of just personally for you what it was like. And then how do we get more women in those roles in the future? So it was, some might say it, it opened a door for me because at Texas specifically, they wanted to have another, I was replacing Jill Sterkle, who is a Mm -hmm. phenomenal female coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think they really wanted to have a woman there. So was a door open for me? Yeah, I guess so. But because I was one of maybe a handful, five or six female coaches at the division one level, there are, there are not a lot, there were not at the time, a lot of resources for us in terms of the network of, of people that we can rely on, right? So as a group of women, we weren't very, very supportive of each other. Um, we didn't have each other's back very much. We were competitors with one another, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we're not also going to be your best friend in most cases. And so there weren't a lot of role models for me to, to look at towards to, to get help from. I think that Men often overlooked me. A, a lot of times they thought my assistant, who was a male, was the head coach. Um, even people that should have known, like on, you know, within the Texas environment or people who ran our meets or com- com- other teams coming in, like, you know, if an Arizona came in or a Stanford or Auburn or whatever, there was still this like feeling of, do they really, do they know, and do they respect the role that I am in? Do I have to constantly Mm. remind people that this is my role? Like Mm. they don't, other people didn't have to do that. I don't think other men had to do that. So there was just always this uphill little battle that you're always climbing and it gets tedious fast. Yeah. So that can be really challenging to feel like you always have to promote yourself you always have to remind somebody who you are and that you earned that spot and that you're there for a reason. Um, so that became, uh, that's a little bit of a mental struggle, I think, for women, female coaches at that level. There are so many 
qualified women out there. Um, because look at the pool of swimmers, right? That's where a lot of our coaches are coming from, from, from swimming, right? From their previously swimmers and, uh, in the, in their college years. And, um, first of all, there's this, um, myth that women aren't going to coach combined teams or men's teams. So right off the bat, you know, two thirds or more of the, of your job options are closed to you. I remember when Margot Gear was announced as the women, as the head coach for Alabama, the men's and women's program at Alabama, and everybody went crazy, including me to some degree. I was like, wow, she's not very experienced. It wasn't that she was a woman. Mm. It's that she had never held a head coaching job before. But I was like, okay, but everybody, hold on. Let's give her a shot. Like Maybe she's going to be super smart and surround herself with people who are going to help support her in that role, right? which she did. Um, and she's done incredibly well in this first season. And so I think there have to be more athletic directors like hers that just, that go outside the the normal boundaries and just try to find someone who they think is the best fit for their program. And then as women, we need to continue to support each other and to promote each other, um, which is starting to happen more. I see that more and more. Mm. I think that just right now, men are still in that in the roles where we get to decide who gets the job. And so men have to be more open and willing to put women in those leadership roles. Mm. The men who are there already need to not push us back down. And that's, to be honest, that's how I felt I was handled at, at Texas. I felt like Mark Schubert and Eddie Reese did not believe I should have that job and kind of made a decision that somebody else should have it and worked to get it that way. And so that combined with me kind of struggling with my role, it just, it was, a, uh, it was, you know, not destined to be after a few years and, and it was super unfortunate. And I, I, you know, I still feel sad about it. Um, but again, feel really proud that I have moved on mm-hmm. and am a productive, happy, still contributing coach into the the world of swimming. You know, I think you, you touched on it. I think having role models is is absolutely critical. And when I look at yourself, um, Melanie Marshall, who, you know, coaching okay. Adam Peaty, arguably the greatest swimmer we've ever seen in t- specifically for the breaststroke, but yeah. just what he's done. No no swimmer has really moved the, the dial so far past any other swimmer in, in those events that, than that guy has. And it's yeah. quite, quite extraordinary to watch them as a team. Uh, you are obviously with Kirsty Cobb. So we're talking about two of the greatest athletes that the world has ever seen are actually coached by women, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. I think that in itself lends itself to going, okay, if you want to have a successful athlete or or coaching program, here are some great role models. And, and I think that's, that must be changing. Is it changing? I mean, you would know more than I, is it changing in the college system a little bit with that in mind? Yeah, probably a little bit. Not fast <laughs> not enough. Much, not enough. Not enough. Not, yeah. Not yeah. fast yeah. enough, right? Not, like, yeah, yeah. Not fast enough. And I think I'm so glad you brought up Mel. I was so fortunate. I got to meet her in Budapest during the ISL. We've become great friends. And she's a wonderful role model for women out there. And she takes on that role. Like she is such a great mentor for people. If you know any young female coaches are out there listening, Message Mel. I mean, she may not have all the time in the world for you, but oh, she's pretty great though. <laughs> Honestly, please. she wants people. To, she wants young 
female coaches to be great. Yes, please reach out. Come come to any question app and just ask her on the app. She's yes. a, she's answered something like 700 questions on there and she's, she's amazing. opened up with everything. I, I guess on that, um, with the coaching role, do you think there's a little bit of, uh, 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 this is probably a bit big for us to break down right here, but do you think it's a role that women in, in its own are attracted to wanting to be these kind of head coaching or is it just men want to be in these kind of these roles maybe more than women? No, I think there are absolutely women who want these roles okay. and, yeah. and could just, and be so successful with them. I just don't think we're, we're given the opportunities like men are. Um, I think we're, we have just the nurturing qualities yes, yes, that yes. women are, you know, raised to have, um, I think that especially the, where sport is headed with where we have to be a little bit more nurturing in our roles. Um, I think that gives us a great opportunity to be successful. I will say I have really enjoyed watching a lot of my male peers from, you know, 20, 25 years ago, sort of morph into more nurturing coaches. I mean, David is one of them, (laughs) the one I know the, the most, you know, intently like, Watching him at ISL now, he's a very, very different coach than he was 20 years ago. And I listened to the answers on any question. I mean, Ray Luz and Sergio, uh, even um, Bob Bowman, like they answer some questions where I'm like, wow, these guys are really in touch with who the athlete is and what that person needs. And I'm not sure that's who they were 20 years ago. You know, they're, they're not a chance. Not a, I, I'm going to jump in there and just say, absolutely not. A, I know myself, <laughs> I know myself as a man, you know, I'm a 50 year old man that grew up in the nineties where basically you didn't talk about mental health. It was yeah. bullet a gate and whoever can work the hardest. And, you know, I can't tell you what I did to my health during that time, just in terms of overdoing things, but it, it's kind of to now where you start looking at all the angles of mental performance with mental health on the, on the side and health and wellness as a whole. And it's like, if you want to keep up with the world, that's where we're heading. And, and it's not just because, oh, it isn't that nice. It's because that's where the, the great performances are coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if you want to play the game now, you better be in touch with that side because if you want to op, you know, optimize either being an athlete or a coach, you need to have that. So no, I think that's a really good point that you bring across and um, yeah. quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question you can go to anyquestion.com or you can just go to any question on ios or android that's any question one word and you can go check out kim bracken there and ask her more questions over there and listen to some amazing answers she already has the craziest thing that you've ever sort of done or risked doing just for a small marginal gain oh. Did I answer it on any question? You, you didn't, and that's why <laughs> I went. Uh, that's why I'm going to say: Was it? Has there been anything that you've kind of gone? I gave that a go, and it, it either worked or didn't work. So it's so funny. These the questions where they ask like the craziest thing, or, you know, that kind of thing. Like I have a hard time remembering, right? Or like the set that you remember the most, or that meant the. I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think that. In fact, I, you know, I think I did answer this question, Greg, and it was, it was, um, our dry land. So 
Oh, at yes, Auburn, yes, yes. We did this crazy, crazy dry land that could sometimes last three hours long. And it was more about mental toughness than physical training, although it was really <laughs> physically hard. Mm. And I think I would never do that again. Like <laughs> if I could go back, I would change what we did because we know so much more yeah, too about yeah. what our bodies need and sports specific exercises and all this kind of stuff. I would still have that mental toughness part of it because I think that's part of why our, uh, it's a big part of why our teams were successful, but I wouldn't wrap it around really hard physical activity like that because I, we had some injuries, good people in our sport left the sport because it was so hard. I think I would change that. I don't know if it was as, um, as productive as we thought it was at the time. Mm. Using the information you have at the time, you know, a lot of physiologists weren't incorporated quite as much in training. And mm-hmm. I love that answer though. Um, okay. Meet warm-ups. Are, are you somebody that spends a lot of time swimming before a, in a warm-up pool or are your athletes kind of ready to go or you take it one by one? I think meet warm-up is really, really important. I think you could have a very, a very general, small you know, kind of regular warm up you do, but then I think individually you've got to tailor warm up for different bodies and different events, of course, right? So, um, you know, maybe 600 yards, meters could be kind of everyone doing something together, but then you've really got to be very specific about what different athletes need and how they get there. So, for example, you know, you got to get your heart rate up, right? Well, some people don't want to work very hard. So <laughs> I love heart rate workouts where you're controlling it hypoxically. Like, mm. okay, you're going to do, you know, breath control to get your heart rate up, but you don't have to work your muscles very hard for that. Right. Mm. So, um, and some people need more kicking, some people need more drilling. So I think there should be, especially if this is a meat warm up, not just like a training warm up. that is a place where a lot of coaches, miss out on opportunities to help their athletes perform their best because they, it's just very general. I mean, certainly in the age group level, like I go watch my daughter swim and they all do, you know, the same meet warm up, the same wow. one every time. And everyone's doing the same thing. And I'm like, okay, now go over there, Ellie, <laughs> and do what you need to do to get ready for your breaststroke event or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is very, so, yeah. it is very individual, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, and I don't mean to bring it back to me, but I remember, you know, I was a triathlete, so we would often, you know, I'd go, I'd usually bike to the race and do a little bit of biking, and then you'd, you know, go do a little jog, maybe a couple of kilometers with a few pickups. But the swim, you know, you'd hop in right before the swim race was going to start, and that hypoxic you mentioned, I used to have this set, which is a little pyramid set, where I'd sprint for three strokes, holding breath, relax for three strokes, and then do five sprint, five relax, seven, seven, nine, nine, 11, 11, and then come back down this little pyramid. Mm-hmm. And it used to spike the heart rate, you yeah. know, and it was like, and the rest was never enough. <laughs> and, I, and then you'd be like, but, but it was good to really just get that because in triathlon, as much as it's a 1500 meter swim or longer, depending on the race you're in, it's so explosive. Like we, you, uh-huh. you need to be off that start line if it's a running start or a dive start, whatever it is. And there's that you do have to have been there that by yeah. the time you've gone all out for that first hundred meters, you know, and, and ideally the guys are kind of hitting that sort of just under one minute for that first hundred, you need to position yourself that 
I've always, I always sort of relied on some really intensive, but not distance. I, it wasn't about going so far. It was about just hitting the heart rate as hard as I could. So I like that. I like that the great swimmers of the world are also doing hypoxic work before they, (laughs) before they do their big races as well. Are there any favorite sets? I know this is a boring question, but it, it is something that listeners can have, you know, take away with them. Are there any favorite sets that you had for say sprint swimmers versus distance swimmers that you were kind of like your go-tos? I don't know that I had like go-to sets. I love sets that are kick to swim. I think the legs are so important in swimming. So mm-hmm. you might do, you know, a set of hundreds where it's 50 kick, 50 swim or 25, 75, but where you're really, you're getting those legs going and then you're having to carry them into your swim. So mm-hmm. those have always been favorites of mine. I'm a big fan of test sets, like repeating sets. So whether it's, you know, sets of eight fifties, you know, on three minutes and repeating that, that's, you know, very simple and boring, but mm. that the kind of thing, uh, a measurement, a measuring stick yeah. where you're just, you're testing yourself once a month, we would go like 12, 300. So that would be a max VO two set. Yeah. And we're Brutal. just seeing where they are phys- physiologically or how are we improving? Yeah. What other kind of sets? I love sets with equipment where you, where you build your equipment up. So you start with, you know, nothing and then you put on fins and then paddles, excuse me, and then come back down because I, I think having assistance in the water is really valuable to get you to swim at higher speeds than you normally Mm -hmm. could Mm -hmm. swim. Mm -hmm. So those have always been favorites of mine. And then because I'm a technician, I love building drills into sets. Like I think layering drills, so starting from just very simple, like, okay, set up your body foundation in the water. Okay. Now let's add, uh, just breathing to that. Now let's add a single arm pull. Now let's add pulling to it. Um, so just keep layering a, a skill on top of skill until you've built your stroke. Love stuff like that. I wish I had found you in the early nineties, late eighties. <laughs> I, I, I think I know, I know. Well, my wife, my wife, Laura is a beautiful swimmer. Actually, she swam for SMU in, in when you guys would have been up against them in 97. I think she won the, they won the NCAA championships in 96 or 97. What is her maiden name? Uh, Reback, Laura Reback. Oh, I know Laura Reback. Of course I know that name. Yeah. She was with, when Martina was there. That's right. That's right. She was a hundred, hundred, hundred and two hundred fly. And, uh, yeah. So, oh, that's great. I'll let her know. That's awesome. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the SMU Classic was one of my favorite meets to go to, and you had to be invited. You had to be a good enough team to be invited. Six teams. Yeah. And gosh, I loved going to that meet in that old dinky dark yeah, pool yeah. that was so cool <laughs> and people would swim lights out so fast yeah i mean laura talks a lot about but but looking at laura as a swimmer when she moved to triathlon and she just had that beautiful swimming stroke just yeah actually there was we would swim a very similar pace you know I I could probably outdo her in the open water just because I grew up as a surf swimmer so I was very comfortable in the ocean but in the pool we were very hated being paired next to her if we had to do 200s or something it was just the worst and we actually got to the point we didn't like it because we're so competitive I didn't want to be competitive with my wife you know I was like no but she was relentless the amount of times I would lead out a 200 and I'd open up a you know a second gap because I'm an idiot and then she would just come over the top of me that second hundred and boy it was brutal to get always out touched (laughs) oh my god but I I remember there was one time we were we were swimming in Noosa Aquatic 
aquatic center and one of the most beautiful pools in the world. If you ever get a chance, go to Noosa and, and swim there. But um, we were just doing a two kilometer kind of just, I don't know, it must have been just a moderate tempo set or something. And we got to the end and, okay, we were done and this family came over to us and there's a husband and wife and two young girls, probably eight and, you know, ten. And they said, oh, we've been sitting here watching you swim. They're talking to Laura. And they just said, oh, absolutely beautiful. And just having our girls watch, you know, how you move through the water and just just get, went on for about, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And then the, <laughs> they turned to me and go, yeah, not you so much though. <laughs> I was like, you know, it doesn't really have to be said, does it? Like, you don't need to put me down. Anyway, we, we laughed, we laughed at it, but it was like we were always known as kind of the rhino and the swan, uh, the way oh we moved gosh. through the water. So I would have loved to have had someone like you in my corner teaching me how to swim <laughs> in the early days for sure because I wasted a lot of energy. Um, but, man. <laughs> yeah, efficient efficiency is so overrated. I think that, like, people don't, want to slow down to become more efficient in mm. order to speed up. Mm. It's just, I, I have the hardest time, um, especially with like boys 10 to 12 who just, um, and you love, you love that drive in them of just wanting to be so competitive and just go mm-hmm. race and race and race. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but in this little pool that, I, that we're in right now, that's not what this is about. And you got to slow down in order to hold water better, right? In order, you know, to learn how to, how to swim more efficiently. And it's, it's a mindset that's, that's very hard to turn off that just wanting to drop grind and mm. go, go, go all the time. It's a patience thing, isn't it? You've got to have mm-hmm. that patience. And I didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want it. I wanted to be the best in the world right now. And, and whoever works the hardest, it's not about, you know, I didn't want to, and, and look, my whole, my whole life I battled doing drills. When you talked about, you know, doing, using the legs or doing drills, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but my, but I light up when you're like, oh yeah, eight fifties all out on the three minutes. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I get up. I, I didn't light up when you said the 12, 300. So that, that's not, no, a fa- that's nobody not a lit up for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And, and so when, when you're traveling around the world with these athletes, I'm going to shift gear a little bit on us again, you know, were you somebody that had a team that helped you with, with, um, you know, how to manage long haul trips and, you know, recovery and, and that kind of thing with athletes? Yes. I'm so fortunate at, you know, both Auburn and Texas, really well-funded programs where we had, I had a strength coach, we had, um, trainers, uh, we had massage therapists. So it's really funny now I'll have, um, parents of other, you know, my peers of my daughter. Um, so other swimmers on the team and they'll ask me, Oh, what do you do about, you know, my daughter's feeling this pain in her shoulder. I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I would send them to the trainer. <laughs> Not my job. Not my job. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so that's kind of not very smart of me. That's not very well-rounded of me. But uh, my mind was just on what's what's going on in the pool. And there's, you know, that person's out because their shoulder hurts. But there's somebody to take care of them. And my job is to take care of the people who are still in the pool. Play so, to your strengths, Kim. Play to your strengths yeah. and mitigate your weaknesses, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. I agree with you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's hilarious, though. <laughs> Not my job. <laughs> oh man! Oh, hey, let's let's finish up with just a few a few opinions, okay? Um, okay. Top three swim coaches of all time. Oh geez, um, 
I do think David Marsh mm-hmm. is one of them. I mean, this is going to be so biased. It's just, it's the people I'm around. That's fair enough. I haven't worked with him um, really closely. Michael Bowl. Mm. I was fortunate to be around at most of those Olympic games. Um, certainly in 2008, uh, when his swimmer, Stephanie Rice and mm. Kirstie were going head to head, we had a lot of good conversations. I was invited to go to the Australian Swimming Coaches Association mm-hmm. conference, um, and I got to spend some more time with him there. But just watching him over time and listening to him on any question, the number of great athletes he's worked with and helped become really successful. He's, he's got to be up there. Mm. I mean, it's hard to not include Bowman in there with, um, what he did with Michael Phelps. Mm -hmm. Um, I think from such a young age, right? Like like I inherited Kirstie in college, Bob developed Michael and then continued to develop Michael. Mm. So that's, that's pretty incredible. incredible. And then I'm going to throw out, I don't know if I think, she's one of the top three in the world, but I think Terry McKeever is an exceptional coach. Uh, she gets a lot of flack. I think, uh, again, as women we're held to a different standard of success. And, um, I think Terry has developed such great college teams and she has, um, managed people really, really well. I'm sure she's had some hiccups too, but I'd like to give her a shout out as well. I love it. Throw yourself and Melanie Marshall in there and we've got the there's an awesome six right there. Boom. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's do another one. And this is my right. favorite. Favorite. If you have any, anybody's sitting at a, a dinner and they don't know what to talk about, this is always one just to throw in the middle because it, it always erupts. Greatest athlete of all time. So I've, I've answered this one on uh, any question. I'm going to say I feel like Serena, Serena slash Venus, like – What's so impressive to me about those two women are that they, they have succeeded in a sport where there was no one like them, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like young black women from Compton to become the greatest female tennis player in my, in the world, in my mind. I just think that the hurdles that they had to overcome were larger than let's say what Tom Brady has had to overcome or mm-hmm. besides the fact that they, you know, are outstanding athletes, right? Just the journey that we've talked about so much, their journey to me, so different than many of the people that I've had the privilege of coaching. Great answer. Their journeys weren't nearly as challenging. Great answer and well backed up. And I, I, I did listen to your answer on any question, but I wanted to make sure that you were still on that page. And I think you should be because I think it's absolutely extraordinary the hurdles ever had to overcome. And and then the dominance, you know, in the athletic yeah. side, it's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah. So fantastic. Okay. Um, I just feel a little bit more on the swimming side of things, you know, predictions for 2022 world championships coming up here in a month. Is there anything we should be looking for that, you know, might blindside us? Is there a performance? Is there an athlete that you think perhaps could do something that we're not aware of? Or is it just going to be Adam Peaty, Caleb Dressel, <laughs> uh, you know, the, and the like? Is there anything we should be looking at? Well, I would say specifically for world championships, I think it's going to be interesting because a handful of the world's best are not going to be there. Yeah, right? that's true. So, who does that open the door for? Mm. Like Adam Petey not competing because of this yeah, his his yeah, ankle, yeah, yeah,
do they outperform what they could have done? Um, because they don't feel because they now they feel like they have a chance to win where maybe they're just like, I'm fighting for second mm. potentially, or does the field sort of like, meh, because Adam's not there to kind of to, to lead the field. <laughs> um, I think the first, I think that there's going to be people that really step up yeah. and surprise us. So that's going to be exciting to watch. You know, I am such a, a backstroke fan, having been so invested in backstroke for so much of my career with Kirsty, And I just, it was really interesting when Kirsty was in the early 2000s, um, backstroke was kind of wide open, mm. right? And I think a lot of club coaches started to really develop their backstrokers more because it was such a wide open event. And now it's like chock full of amazing athletes. Like you know, five or six different women could win the world championship mm. or the Olympic games, um, in Paris that, you know, on any given day, there's no leader in the field. So it's, to me, that's always a really fun one to watch. I just think that we are continually every meet, we are exceeding expectations. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's so exciting. I love it. I love watching sport and watching sports just continue to evolve. Like yeah. if, if we took an athlete now that's performing right now and transplanted them back to even 2000 Olympics and watch them perform from the times they're doing now to back then for many of the events, not all events, but many of them, we'd all be screaming, drug cheat. Ah! Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, we wouldn't be screaming it because we're all very subtle about that kind of thing. But now, now it's like, it's just normal what, what they're able to achieve. I don't know. I'm, I'm loving what, and it's not just for me, I, I, all sports. I'm, I'm sports mad. I just, anything done really well. Actually, it's anything done really well. I'm not even going to limit myself to sport. I just love watching people do extraordinary things and, uh, and yeah. trying to learn from Excellence. them. Yeah, it really Achieve. is. Mm-hmm. Cause you know what it takes. It takes time, perseverance and all those words that we throw out there, but you know that it's there. And, uh, I love watching that. So, all right, well, what's next for you for, you know, Coming up, you got anything on the horizon that's you want to share? Six for me. Um, no, it's you know I'm kind of actually in a little bit of a mental rut because there isn't something new and exciting in terms of career wise. I'm super bummed that ISL was postponed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would have been heavy into like you know getting our team organized and who's on the team and, and trying to get new faces and get the old people to come back and all that piece of it. Um, so I, I miss that a lot, but I'm just doing my, my thing here. I think that probably in the next four five, six years, I'll even be wrapping up the coaching that I'm doing right now. My husband and I really want to retire at a young age and travel and just experience the world together. Mm, And so I look forward to that, like getting my kids off and being responsible young adults. Um, (laughs) So it's sort of like we're getting into this transition time that I'm, you know, a little bit sad about, but also very much looking forward to. And um, I think in that just learning about me more as a human being. And, you know, that is what I've loved about any question. You've heard me say this before. I, love how you have to be introspective. Like I really take the time to think about the answers. Um, and sometimes I just keep swiping past them. Cause I'm like, mm, I'm not ready to mm-hmm. go there yet. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but I, I love that I'm in this stage of life where I am sort of reflecting on what have I done? What can I still contribute? What has it taught me? Um, it's like a, it's a, 
it's a form of journaling for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, you couldn't have said that better. And, and we love you over at any question because your answers are well thought out. They are very reflective and, 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 you, and we can see that. And we learn so much from it though, because you are, just as you have been on this, on this, on this podcast episode, it's like you've been, you allow yourself to be vulnerable. You allow, you're very authentic. And, and I think that's all captured in the way that you answer. And we're, it's, it's a real privilege. It truly is to have somebody that Thank has you. had the success that you've had open up to all of us the way that you do. And, and I think that's a gift that, you, like you said earlier, maybe it's a nurturing side, whatever it is, it's, it's a real blessing for all of us to be able to learn and, and listen. And, and I'm truly grateful for you coming on the show and, and us having this chat. And I, I think this is going to be the first of many conversations you and I have. I, I feel like you and I could be good friends here. So I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time today. It's been absolutely wonderful. I've really enjoyed it too. Are you proposing that we, we do a podcast together? We host one together? Is that what you're trying oh, to say? Oh, well, we could do that. Would you, <laughs> you know what? We could do something where even if we, this could be fun, you know, if we brought somebody like a Kirsty Coventry on and we had the, the coach-athlete dynamic and we do, a, we do one together and we can do all sorts of things. But I, I'm open to all ideas. So, you know, I think, <laughs> I think you communicate at next level. So I think you'd be a fantastic uh, host, co-host, however you want to be. So we can definitely keep that door open. <laughs> awesome. Well, I've had so much fun. And again, this is anytime it's, uh, I'm asked to, to give an opinion or to speak. I think that as you know, we, we owe it to our, our peers and the people we're trying to mentor to be honest and mm-hmm. to make yourself vulnerable because that's what people want to listen to. They want to listen to honesty and learn from it and grow from it. So hopefully this has been interesting for people. Um, I've certainly enjoyed it. So there we go. That, that number one, <laughs> if we've enjoyed ourselves, that's the number one thing here. Um, yeah. But I know, I know from my listeners in the audience that they are truly going to have loved this one. Um, and it does take strength to be vulnerable and, uh, and, and you've definitely, you're very strong and I truly appreciate it. And I want to thank you. I also want to thank everybody for listening. Um, if you want to check out the show notes and timestamps and links and everything, you can go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.